Thank you so much for joining us for Love That Voiceover. In-depth interviews unveiling the personalities and projects behind the mic. With none other than your chic geek, perfectly different host, Love That Rebecca. Welcome back, everybody. As you know, I'm with the fabulous Stevie Valance, and we just finished talking about Guess How Much I Love You and her uh, casting and voice directing experience. And well, you know, you have quite the acting background. And pr- right before the break, we were just talking about your role in Knots Landing. You had a no- role in Knots Landing, and you were also on a big um, sitcom at the time as well um, with John Ritter. Yes, um, and I, I read in your in your I read a story about how the your first debut on that show was was in a trunk. You had to start before the show started, before the audience even walked in, so that they didn't know that you were in that trunk. You want to tell that story? Well, yeah, it's just you know I I owe so much of um, any of my animation comedic uh, timing and knowledge of of skits and things to um, wonderful people like Norman. Fell and 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 Audra Lindley and and Jeffrey Tambor from sure. um, back when I did a three oh camera sitcom called The Ropers that was a spinoff of Three's Company and uh, ah, yes and um, so you know we'd rehearse it was back in the old fashioned way where we'd have a live audience I don't know if they do that anymore but that was the way all sitcoms were done back in the eighties and prior to that and. Um, right. So we'd rehearse all week and do different scenes um, at the CBS studio down at, on Fairfax and Beverly in L.A. And it was so exciting going in there. And so, yeah, I was just and so And this nervous. is in your early television career, correct? Yeah, this is when I, when I was back just doing on camera. And I really didn't, as I say, I was doing animation. It was like doing extra work. You kept it off your resume. So in the anima- closet. Animation, yeah, animation acting was definitely something I didn't let people know I talk like this. And then, you know. <laughs> I wanted to be taken seriously, you know, but it's different now. And um, so one of the um, characters that I played was this Jenny and she was, uh, she came on in the second season of the Ropers and, and Mr. Roper found me living in their attic and I'd been climbing up their trestle as their newspaper boy and sleeping in their empty room attic, which they never went into for months. And um, they heard quite the independent, ingenious little thing you were. Well, it wasn't, it was the script, of course, and I got this marvelous regular role on this amazing network series and it was my one of that and Knott's Landing were kind of my very my entry into show business in LA and I got to be on the cover of Variety and 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 the reporter and it was a really big deal this kid that fresh off the boat from Canada is how they put it and (laughs) and so it was a very exciting time for me very but tell us, how could you survive in a trunk? Tell, tell oh, the story. Oh, oh, all that, is, all that was is basically, I, I was just very nervous because I had to start my opening show in the trunk with the lid down because the scene went... I have claustrophobia. I can't handle I the story. I, well, and because the live audience, I had to be preset because the, the scene was that Mr. Roper came in and found me and that's how my character came onto the show. So I had to be preset in the trunk with the, with the lid on while the audience came in and no one knew that I was, they could see the scene, they could see the the set, I should say, with with the furniture and everything, but they had not, it looked like nobody was there. And so I had to sit, lie in there for about an hour while the stand-up comic came in and they warm up How the audience. You- 
nervous. And, oh and I God. was so nervous. I was just dying, you know. And, and then fi- finally you could hear the, it all coming together. And the director would say, you know, okay, all this can't, okay, we're going to go now, everybody, and roll. And then the scene started. And it just kind of was the, the lead up time to that moment where finally the lid was opened. And now I had to pop out and be in character. I couldn't jump out and go, help. Ah! Get me out! I'm so nervous. Norman, hold me. <laughs> and, um, and so that's sort of how I started, and it was quite an initiation into uh, three camera sitcom. Uh, to big sort of initiation, brava! Like back in the box, yeah, 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 yeah. Out of the box, she jumped. So that was that. Not story. directly from Toronto, but almost. <laughs> and John Ritter was fabulous. He wasn't on the Ropers, but I, they they recorded Three's Company into in the the sound stage that was directly next to the Ropers, and so we often hung out in the cafeteria. And he did a movie up in Vancouver with Henry Winkler, and the, I was in that as well years later. So, um, you know, I kind of that's how you got to know John Ritter. Is that correct? I, I didn't get to know him, but I would say associated with him and got to hang with him a little. And 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 he and then when I was in Canada late, later, I I he recognized me. Um, on a, on a movie set and kind of took me under his wing with Henry Winkler. And it was very cool, you know, to be, yeah. suddenly, you know, may, it certainly made the Canadians very impressed with me because I was then more Canadian based as an actor. And uh, when this production came to Vancouver and, um, and I had a role in it already, I mean, I was cast in it through the Vancouver uh, side of things. Um, they saw me and came running around and made a big deal about me. And I just felt like a queen for the day. You know? That's wonderful. Yeah. Recognition in your home country. Tray. Uh, that's really that's really key. Um, yeah, it feels good because that's where your family is based and everything and your old friends. Yeah. Um, you have this incredible other life. And I do want to talk to you about that. You know, I've always had a keen sense that life is short. So I like to and I, I, I think I became an actor because I wanted to place, I wanted to be so many different things growing up and experience. So the way to do that was to be, to be playing them in, in a role, you know, so I could play a nurse, I could play a lawyer, I could be a fireman, you know, I could be anything I wanted to be when I grew up, if I could be an actor. And I think that, you know, one of the things I, I, I've always had is the ability to sing. And I, I think that's probably my strongest suit is singing. And, um, oh. and but I didn't follow that in terms of business um there's always as i say the business aspect of things is something that you have to factor in when you choose a career and um i'm kind of i'm kind of glad in a way that i didn't because it keeps it special i've never had to survive by my singing i do it as a hobby and mm-hmm. so now i've played patsy klein for six years i toured so as cool. patsy klein i wore padding and wigs because of course oh, I'm. can you give us a little bit of patsy's oh i'm just getting over the flu but okay I'll, I'll, i have have not practiced a crazy I'm crazy for feeling so lonely I'm a crazy crazy for feeling so blue I knew etc or oh, I go, brava, oh, brava. after midnight Anyway, I have the flu, but that, <laughs> you know, so I did that for six years, sang with Jan Arden's band back to me, open for the Calgary Stampede. I do have a CD um, of just her songs. Turned out I was born the same day as she, and yeah. I got to meet her husband, Charlie Dick, flew up to see my show out of the show that I did called A Closer Walk with Patsy Cline, spawned many, many different productions. And so I kind of workshopped the original show out of Canada, and they had two shows on Patsy, one called Always and one called Just a Closer closer walk with Patsy Klein. And it was just a big part of my life for about six years back in the 90s and turn of the century. 
Were they were they productions a music production or was it a theater show? It was like a one woman show. Ah, Bel- okay. And, and and it was very very big in Canada, and it, as I say, it ran simultaneously to the one in the states, which was called Always. And so suddenly, you know, having never sung country before, at, now I'm now I'm now I'm Patsy Cline, you know. And I would go and when I opened for the Calgary Stampede, you know that sound I did at the beginning that's what <laughs> 70,000 people sound like and right. and it's just it was incredible to to sort of impersonate somebody in a sense because uh, I mean I wasn't trying to impersonate I would do the essence of her I never claimed to be doing her but how people want you to be that person and they they were you know they they really didn't want to know that I was somebody else playing her and they want to acknowledge this person that they haven't had a chance to say goodbye to and wow. there's a huge responsibility so I really did listen to all of her phrasing and and she talked taught me posthumously how to sing country and because uh, I didn't know. So country is not necessarily my thing. I did it because right, I you're jazz show and I was playing and I was acting a role, but I took it so seriously. And because I'm a singer, I sang in her key. I sang it as closely to her phrasing as I could. And, um, and because you're a voice actor, your ear is cued to be able to Thank you. That's the best way to put it. I was playing the character of Patsy Klein. So out of that, you know, I wanted to just do something. I didn't want to keep doing the same songs every night. I was going cr- going crazy, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> doing that. And so, uh-huh. so I started doing jazz, and it just suited my age. Wait a minute. Suit- wait a minute. I'm Excuse me for interrupting, but you're saying that from Patsy Klein that generated the jazz? Yeah, I mean, I was wow. doing jazz a little bit um, during that time, but I think just the freedom of not being in a every night the same tune, the same, the same arrangement, mm-hmm. the same, you know, it's like doing a play that you've done for, for years or months and you're just, you just, it comes out of you without thinking. Yeah, you just want to stretch out. And, I want and, the spontaneity and jazz right. is, is very, very, I compare it, I parallel it to animation acting all the time because it is about spontaneity. It's about jumping into a scat without knowing where you're going to land. Wow. Making a mistake and instead of feeling bad, making it happen again and again so that it sounds like it was on purpose. I always say that's what in a way jazz is. is Something and then you just make it like you did it on purpose. You have to be willing to make mistakes and fall on your ass in order to find the brilliance in animation acting. That's where the brilliance lies is where you aren't afraid to make a mistake because then there's an original creation right there and everybody gets drawn into it and they feel the purity of that moment. And uh, so I would say that that jazz and animation acting, they've each enhanced, they've helped each other. The more I sing jazz, the better animation actor and director I become and teacher and vice versa. Um, So so I do. I listened to your song Doodling. Doodling, yeah. Doodling is the correct title, correct? And it was one of, I can feel that though. <laughs> yeah. you, you're making. Da, 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 da. I'm trying to think of the words now. Um, I haven't sung it in a while, but doodling away. Um, it's it's like you. what you just said. I, I can feel how that can go into the animation acting. I'm sure anybody who is attuned to the mu- I heard somebody else say, in fact, once, and maybe I, I would love your opinion on this, in terms of good voice acting. And, and this would apply to any kind of voice acting where you're really becoming the other character. They said a person who really understands uh, music has an advantage in voice acting because when you get direction and, it, and the director's asking you to do something different, this, this one gentleman was saying it's, it's like changing the tune a little bit. If you hear it as music, you, you feel the words as music, that it actually can adjust for you that much more easily. 
Does that yeah, make any sense? Absolutely. I, I totally agree. Um, just from experience, I think it's about your inner ear. When when somebody says in music, oh, you have a good ear, I would say that's that's the same rule that you would use for animation acting. Whether an actor is good or not, they probably are good if they have a good ear. So usually that I find in the casting sense that when I found a good actor, nine out of 10 times, I don't even have to ask them if they can sing. They usually can sing as well. And that's because they have an inherent good ear. And what that does is it keeps the melody inside their head. They're able to not go out of character. They can hear the tune of the character, the melody, the range, the uh, how far up, how far down comes naturally. They don't have to think about it. They're free from thinking, which is one of my rules that I say to my students, stinking thinking. Use, <laughs> yeah, so leave the thinking. Do not you utilize, do not analyze, do not think. The, the minute you start listening to your voice or judging or analyzing or mm. directing yourself, you are out of character. If you are not aware of what you're doing, if you're just in the tune or in the melody and, and you're just freely in character, um, you won't be listening to yourself. You'll be having that out-of-body experience. As I say, you'll be hearing the melody. I hope well, that all makes sense. But it, well, it does to me. There, and yeah, I hope it does to everybody listening. It makes a lot of sense to me. And it, it goes with some of the other things that I think about I've heard for spirituality, actually, as well. Yeah, there you know? are some parallels. I, I feel like a <laughs> new, age tune, new Age tune therapist or something. You know? <laughs> Find your inner tune. You know. <laughs> oh my God! A new marketing, a new marketing I want to write a book technique. Called that finding your inner tune. I'm I'm determined oh, to do that. Yeah, that sounds like something you could actually you get a lot of readers for. Um, speaking <laughs> of your the, class and teach, go cheek. ahead. With the tongue, tongue in cheek, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. <laughs> find so, your so, inner tune. <laughs> That'd be another good name for a book. Tongue in oh, cheek. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, finding your inner tune with your tongue and cheek. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> That's right. There you go. That's the subtext. We will be back next week with the rest of the gold from Stevie. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Love That Voiceover, brought to you by your host, lovethatrebecca.com. Thanks for listening.